0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnyTime.com. Uh, again, my apologies for the little uh, delay. And uh, tonight we are learning Schmat to Avraham ben and ben Avraham. So uh, there's actually, you know, I'm going to make two announcements. No, Announce number one is last week we spoke about daily giving. And what it appears like is that the more. That I speak about it, the more that actually people sign up because Dr. Jonathan Donat actually, you know, reached out to me and said, you know, a handful of people, you know, did sign up because of the class last week. So maybe what I need to start doing is mentioning it, uh, you know, more often. So, you know, if you haven't done it yet, please go to dailygiving.org and um, do your thing. You'll figure out what to do. Just go there. Okay, the next announcement. I was actually contemplating if I should say this, and but I am decided somehow between when we started when I started talking to right now that I am going to put it out that we are kind of making this class now back into a women's only one. So women only are. Uh, we'll see how it how you know things will develop, but as of now, that's how we're going to you know go with it. So all women are more than welcome to join us on the Thursday night Zoom share at 8.30 sharp uh, every every Thursday. So if you want any more information, there is a special WhatsApp group for women only that uh, even I'm not on it even, but it's strictly only women or there is another option of just emailing um, me and I will send you the flyer. So either way, you can reach out to R-A-B-B-I-Z-I-T-R-O-N at TorahAnytime.com. If I said it too fast, then rewind and say again it, it slower. No, I'm kidding. It's Rabbi on and I will provide for you the information for you to get the the, um, the the details for the class. Okay. Now, with that being said, let's let's get rock and rolling. So the Chavetz Chaim once said a mashal, a parable, that there was a poor man, and this poor man was carrying a sack of, of wheat, and the, the weight of the sack of wheat was ten pounds and five ounces. And he saw this rich man driving past by in a wagon, and he hails down the wagon, and he goes over to the rich man and says, "You know, I'm carrying a lot of stuff. Can you please help me? Which direction are you going? Going the same direction? Great. Can you please help me?" The rich man says, "Absolutely no problem. Put the stuff on the wagon. There's room for your for your stuff, um, and uh, we'll we'll get it to your destination." So the rich man looks at this poor man, and he sees that he takes ten pounds and he puts it on the wagon, and then he takes off like the five ounces and that he's holding. And he's, and the rich man's carrots continue, and he, the rich man's looking at him, and he sees that he's holding this five ounces of wheat. And the rich man finds like, you know, like, I can't do it. He's like, why don't you just put that also on it? He's like, I already, I'm already carrying your ten pounds, and, you know, put the five ounces also on that. So, the, the poor man was like, listen, I'm already bothering you so much that I'm ready, you're already carrying 10 pounds of this wheat for me. I don't want to bother you for another, you know, 5 ounces. And the rich man goes, you know, I don't understand. He says, it's not going to make any difference. If I'm carrying it, I'm carrying it. For me, it makes no difference. 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 10 pounds, 0.5 ounces. It makes zero difference. I don't care about the additional 5 ounces. When it comes to uh, us having emunah and bitakon in Hu, we tend to have and we not on the big stuff You know, like life and death Yeah, you know, like we have to go And we have to like, you know, deal with strictly the not. But we don't realize that You know, Hashem can take care of the small things for us as well Not the, you know, only the huge things People have Muna when they feel like they have no other options So we have to have Muna And goes for even the small things Hashem says, what do you mean? Just like I saved you Just like I could take away your life So too I could make you rich I could make you poor I could give you health I could take away your health Everything and in between Is all in Hashem's hands and we tend to only put the 10 pounds on the Hashem's wagon, so to speak, but we keep the 5 ounces to us. We're like, you know what? I don't want to bother you, Hashem. There's only so much, you know, that I could, uh, you know, that I could bother you with. Reminds me of a story that one time, I said this for sure before, one time there was a, um, this wealthy man who was sitting in front of the Aaron of Kodesh. He opened up, he went to the, to the synagogue, he opened up the Aaron of Kodesh, and he was begging, There was a huge, huge business deal that was coming by. And he, he needed as so much, you know, so much divine assistance that he was crying out his heart to God. And suddenly there was another, you know, poor man that also needed money. And he also, you know, sees this rich man all crying him. and says, you know what, let's join. And he walks up next to the rich man and he's the rich man's like crying, please God, let the fifty billion dollar deal close. And the rich man's like, God, please give me a hundred dollars. God, please give me a hundred dollars. This guy's begging God for fifty billion, and this guy says, Hashem, please give me a hundred dollars. Finally, the rich man was like you know, what's with this guy? He's like, he takes takes out his wallet, takes out a hundred dollars. He says, "Here, here's your hundred dollars. Let like, go. Oh, I need to focus, right?" And he goes. The rich man takes a hundred dollars. Uh, the poor man takes a hundred dollars and walks away. And now the rich man goes over and says, "God, now that I have your undivided attention, please give me the fifty billion dollars. Please give me the fifty billion dollars." So. We tend to think that, you know, we could ask Hashem for certain things and, you know, somebody could take away from us. That minimizes the capacity of what Hashem is able to do. Hashem is able to do everything and anything from the smallest minute detail of your life to the biggest decision you'll ever make in your life. You have sometimes, you know, uh, this, uh, that's let's say the, the boys that are looking to, that they're, they're sitting and learning Tuan. They want to get married to a girl that has money that they'll be able to support them to continue learning Ram So they're looking for something called a dowry. And the, you know, the common thing is that maybe they want something, especially in the olden days, they would want something that would be able to last them for several years. And the rabbi, once big rabbi came over to one of these boys and be like, I don't understand, you're looking for someone to support you for the first few years, what are you going to do when the support is run out? Like, who is going to support you afterwards, after that? So the boy goes, says, after that, Hashem will take care of it. So the rabbi says, wait a minute. So, for the first five years of your marriage, you don 't trust in hashem only after five years, then Hashem will take care of you where's the trust meaning that it's not re- the, the trust is not really deep inside over there. The trust is sort of something that comes out that says uh, you know the, the common thing is that you have." you know, people that they ask Hashem, says, you know, God, if you just give me $50 million, if you just give me a 100 million, don't worry about it. I'll take care of that. I know how to invest it properly. I know how to make the money. I just need the initial investment. I need the initial capital. Once you give that to me, I'll take care of myself. Meaning that you feel like you need Hashem for certain situations, and you don't feel like you need Hashem for other situations. What is worse off is when We rely on Hashem for certain situations, but then we rely on other people for other situations. Let's say the smaller things. So, you can rely on Hashem for, you know, the big stuff. But then, like, there are certain things that, you know what? My boss, that's who I need to rely on. My parents, my partner, my spouse, that's who I'm going to rely on. The best Beisah lady goes and says, something very, very scary, that trusting in anyone or anything other than Hashem, other than God, will not help and will bring a curse. As it says in Yirmiya, Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 5. It says, mm-hmm. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Meaning it's not a good thing to go and have emunah in man. You have to have emunah in, in God. And also it says in the Pasuket Teilim chapter 146, verse 5. Verse 3, I'm sorry. It says, Do not trust in generous people. In mankind who has no salvation, a man who doesn't even have a salvation for himself. You're gonna go and you're gonna trust that he will help you or she will help you? The Chobot of writes, in the introduction to Shara B'Dachon. and this happens to be what I'm about to say, this was supposed to be the title for this class. But the problem is that it's too long to figure out how to make it into a small title and that's why I gave the other title, but this is really the essence, the crux of this, of this class. And that is, I'm going to quote for you what the chabot says in the introduction to the Shara B'Dachon. And that is, a person who doesn't trust in Hashem, doesn't trust in God, and trusts in someone or something else, then HaKadosh Baruch withdraws his personal supervision and leaves him. Meaning that if you trust, let's say, in your boss, then what God does is God removes his, super, his personal supervision and says, you want to trust in your boss? Here. Your boss has to say of what goes on in you. Meaning that there is such a power that the way that it works, it's proportional. The more you trust, the more help that you will get. The less you trust, the less help you get. Oh, you think you can do it yourself? The problem. Let's see you do it. Now we know that everybody needs The HaDishmaiya. Siyat is divine assistance. We all need help from HaKadosh Baruch This is something that I, when I speak to people let's say that are um, about to get married and uh, their particular wedding plans are not up to the kosher standards that they should be and what happens is is that they tend to fall short in let's say different areas of dancing or different things and I speak to them and I say you know is marriage easy like you're not married yet but is a marriage an easy thing and everybody knows that marriage is not something that's easy it's something that takes work it's something that is a lot of effort it's something that you need a lot of blessing in order to succeed so I'm, I go to them and I say, you know that you need God's help to make this successful, right? And they're like, yeah, 100%. We know you need God's help. So I'm like, why is it that the day that you're, com- you're making this union between you and your spouse, you're bringing in so many cursing and so many uh, so many uh, sins into the world because of you? Like, does it make any sense? You know you need God's help. But yeah, be- but you don't even think about that. You figure, okay, let me do whatever I'm doing now to sin, and then afterwards I'll worry about God's help. No, no, no. You have to think about the whole picture at all times. The Pasuk says in Dihilim. Chapter a uh, chapter one hundred and twenty seven verse one. It says Shera Malotlish. This is uh this is a song that uh, speaks from from about Shlomo. Im Lo Yibne Bayis Shav Amah Amala Vubbanabo If Hashem will not build a house then what happens? The people that are bona, the builders, they will toil in vain. Meaning if, they, if Hashem doesn't do it for them, it's not gonna happen. And if pasuk goes and continues, lo Yishmah'ir, if God doesn't guard a city, shab Shakat Shomel, then the watchers will watch in vain. Because at the end of the day, yes, we have to do our Yishadhu. But ultimately it all comes from God. You could be a multi-billionaire. You could be the wealthiest man in the world. You could own your own, you could own your own country. Let's take it a step up. And if you're owning your own country, you're for sure owning your own construction company. If you have your own construction company, you for sure have all the materials in your warehouse. You have everything that you need from A to Z to build your house. You have the land, you have the workers, you have the materials, you even have the permits because you write the permits yourself. You have everything, everything that you need. But, if there's one factor that if you're missing it, it's not going to happen. And if if you don't have God's assistance, there will be issues that will come up, and the house will not be built. You can have somebody who is a genius, top of the class, right? We all had that growing up. You always had that that like one person that are uh, there. You know, in the yeshiva world, you don't really have so much of the what is it called? You have a bunch of pictures and, and famous sayings on the bottom, uh, yearbooks, you know, and then you have like. You know, most likely to fail or something. Most likely to be a drug dealer. Most likely to succeed. And then you have like some people that are just most. They're just going to succeed at everything in life. They're like, have everything going for them. They're very smart. They got into an Ivy League college. And they graduated that college with honors. And they have connections. And they have everything that's going on for them. Yet you meet them 10 years later and they're working at a mediocre job. Who are they working for? They're working for that classmate... That kept on walking into the walls because his glasses were too dirty and he couldn't find the way out, right? You're talking about the guy that would talk to his watch or something before there were smart watches. So you're talking that's who he's working for. Why? Because you can have the right tools in life. You can have everything, you can have the right connections, you can have the right plans, you can have the right finances, you have you can have the right everything. But if you don't get Hashem's help, all the tools, all your connections, all your education is Useless. It's useless. It's not going to give you one iota more than what you're getting or what you ought to get. There was uh, once a uh, villager, who, and by a villager I mean someone who lived in a village, I guess. Uh, and he saved the life of the, you know, of the king. And he was a simple man, didn't know much. And he goes over. Uh, the king goes over to him and says, "Listen, you know, you saved my life." i got to give you something. I get everything that you want. He says, why don't you come to my palace? Look through everything. And whatever it is that you want, you got. I'm giving it to you. So the villager goes, that's, that's amazing. He goes over to the palace. He starts walking from room to room. Until finally he ends up in the bathroom. And for some reason, even back then, people decide that bathroom is one of the most important places to put the most money in your house. Right? That's where I'm going to put the money. And I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just very interesting that uh, the kitchen I understand. But the bathroom is something very interesting. You gotta have a nice bathroom. Whatever it is. So he goes over to the bathroom. It's a beautiful bathroom. And then he sees there's like a little pipe that's coming out of the wall. And he goes over to the king and he says he's never seen running water. He's never seen, you know, bathrooms. He would have, you know, in the village stuff, which is bushes related. Uh, and he goes and he says, what is this? And uh, the king says, this is a, this is a water faucet. He's like, what's a water faucet? And he's like, oh, very simple. He says, you turn this knob, and he turns it knob, and water comes out. And the villager was like, oh, El Diablo, this is a magician. What are you talking about? He was like, where's the water coming from? And he's looking, at and the king like, tried to, so The villager couldn't even understand. He's like, it's just a faucet. You turn it on and turn it off. That's where the, you know, the water comes out. The villager goes and says, I want that. Give me a faucet. That's what I want. And he's thinking, he says, we have such hard problems getting water in our land. You know, If I have a faucet it's unlimited amount, I need the faucet. Give me the faucet. So he goes, and the king says, okay, fine, you want the faucet, you know, this guy's, you know, who knows what he's on. He says, okay, give him the faucet. They unscrew it, they give him the faucet, this villager is so happy, he's holding his cherished faucet, he brings it back to his, uh, to his little village, and he, co- he makes an announcement, he calls the entire town over. It. And he says, our water problem is finished, it's done, I have the solution right here. And everyone's like, what is that? And he's like, it's a faucet Forgot how it's pronounced, right? And he goes, and he's, and, and he's like, this is the source of all the water. And it was like, "How does it work?" And he was like, "Watch, check it out. I'm gonna turn this knob, and water is just gonna come out." And was like, "No, it's not gonna happen." And everyone's calling him wizard. You know, that's not possible. And the guy goes and he turns the knob, and nothing comes out. And he closes it, turns it on, closes it, does both of them. Upset, nothing is happening. And everyone starts laughing at him, be like, you know, really, you know, like, why would you even think that there will be water that would come out of this? And be like, I promise you, I saw it with my own eyes. In the king's house, this, the water came out. He takes the faucet, all embarrassed, he runs back to the king. And he goes back and he says, you know, my dear king, you gave me a faulty faucet. He says, I put it in my living room. I opened it up, nothing came out. And the king says, you simpleton, you fool. Says so It's not going to work if you just turn it on. So it has to be connected to something. And if it's not connected to the pipes, it's not connected to the water reservoir, if nothing is going to come out. Many people think that we're going to turn to other sources and that's what's going to give me the blessings in life. I'm going to go and I'm going to meet the wealthy guy and he's going to be my reason of my success. I'm going to get into a good college, I'm going to study hard and that's what's going to give me my success. I'm going to do my due diligence and I'm going to do my everything I need for shiduchim, and I'll find the perfect person for me. People think that the other sources are what's going to help them. But really all they're doing is that they're just churning the faucet. And if it's not connected to anything in the wall, then nothing is going to come out of that. Nothing will come out of it, nothing good, nothing beneficial will come out of it. The connection that we're looking for is the connection to Hakadosh Bahu, the connection to God, and if we don't have that connection, we, every other connection means absolutely nothing. The boss, the parent, the friend, every, it means nothing unless it's connected to Hakadosh Bahu. And that is why you have people that could regard to their bosses in two different ways. Number one, a person thing. You know, I owe everything to my boss. You know, like my life is is literally in their hands. You know, if they like me, then I have a job. I'm set. If not, then uh, you know I have no other. I have no other option. I, I will. That person will think that they have to do anything and everything for the boss. The second mindset is, you know, the boss is very kind to me. He's giving me a job. I'm very grateful. But at the end of the day, he's a messenger. Just like he's a messenger, there's plenty of other messengers. But of course. I'm a loyal employee. I have to go and I have to work. I have to try to please the boss and do everything that I need to 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 try my hardest. But at the end of the day, he's just a messenger. Now both these people are working equally as hard. But what's the difference? The difference is, is that the first one is a slave. The first one thinks that this is the source of everything. This is the source of my blessing. And he's bound to everything that the boss says. Positive and negative. The second one, who's working just as hard... But he's absolutely free. He knows there's a different mindset. That's what people don't realize: that the power, the the effect of emunah v'da'chan, is not that your actions, sort of speak, will change. It will, but that's not really the focus. The focus is your internal, your inside will change, your mindset will change, your thought process will change, and with that, then all of a sudden, that's going to affect everything in your life, and that will eventually spill over to the outside, to your actions, to your, um, to the way that you speak. To the way that you sleep, like everything is related to this, this is you're talking about, the easiest way to go stress free in life, the Pasuk in uh, Bereshit chapter 40 verse 43 says, says that, um, says that, regarding Yosef HaTzadik, Sar HaMashkim Et Yosef It says over there in the Basuk that the Salaam Hashim was called the chief cupbearer, the the person that poured the wine, that arranged the wine for Parol. He was in the prison together with Yosef. And Yosef told him that you are going to be saved. But I need to ask you for a favor. Remember me and mention me to Parol. Meaning that put in a good name for me for Parol because you're going to be saved based off the dreams that he had. Yosef interpreted that you're going to be saved. But do me a favor. Remember me. Put in a good word for me. The Pasuk goes on and says, V'lo And he didn't remember. The Saram did not remember at Yosef. And then it says, kafel, And he forgot him. The question is, is that why is it say twice? V'lo he didn't remember, and he forgot him. You don't need to say something twice. Say, the Torah is very, very meticulous in every word that it's used. So why is it that it say didn't remember, and he forgot him. So Rashi goes and explains that the Saram Ashkim he did not remember Yosef. On the day that he was restored to his post, meaning that initially, usually when you have something that someone tells you to do something, so if you don't remember it right away, it's very unlikely that you'll remember it you know, in the future, but it's possible you'll remember it in the future. Meaning that if someone goes and says, okay, when you get home, do me a favor, send me an email about X, Y, and Z. So the entire day you're writing yourself notes, write this email, very important. And you get home and it just slips your mind. So the more the days go by, you still have a chance of remembering it, but it, it, it goes down. So what happens is over here. The way that Rashi is explaining is that the day that Yosef, the day that that um, the Salamaskim left Yosef and went to the palace, he was restored back to his post. He from, he didn't remember Yosef. But what happened after that? He completely forgot about him. He, the he com- forgot, forgot about him completely, meaning that there was no hope of him ever going back and saying, "Oh yeah, I remember, you know, Yosef," and this is what you know what happened. The Rashbam goes and explains that. After this, so how did the Saram Hashkim, how did he actually remember Yosef? Because two years go by, and Paul has a dream, and all of a sudden the Saram Hashkim says, Wait a minute, there's a my dear friend in prison, Yosef. He's the one who knows that interpret dreams, so he did remember it. Says the Rav how did he remember it? Because God caused him to remember it. And if Hashem did not cause this miracle, then the, the Saram Hashkim would have never remembered Yosef. Because what happens is the Rashbam goes and explains that when a person, in this case Yosef, relies on natural means on others, somebody else, for example, the Saramashkim, then what God says, okay, you want to rely on the Saramashkim? Then let's see what happens and what is the natural way of things that human beings forget. You rely on human being; that your your source of salvation is not going to come. Yosef, since he relied on natural efforts, as a result, he was forced to remain incarcerated for two more years. Two more years. Meaning, you know what's crazy about this? That a person can be worthy of so many blessings from heaven. And he deserves miraculous stuff in his you know, day-to-day life. But because of his behavior, because of his lack of emunah and bidukhan, they're dealt with him from heaven in a, in a realm of nature. Meaning that he could lose out of blessing. But at the same point in time, the source of Yosef's salvation is also in this Pasuk. Let's go back to this Pasuk. The Pasuk we just explained that it says, V'lo sarah mashkim et Yosef ha'ishkech Sarah mashkim did, did, you know, did not remember Yosef and then he forgot him. It says the le, bina le'itim, there's a different way to read it. And this is the way of the salvation. Listen to this beautifully. The way that you read it is like this, V'lo sarah mashkim et Yosef. The sarah mashkim, the copier, he did not remember Yosef. And then, what, do, what does it mean that he forgot? Not the Saram Over here it's referring to It's referring to that Yosef forgot about the Saram Not that the Saram forgot about Yosef. Meaning that it came to a point that Yosef forgot the Saram He didn't put any emunah and in the cupbearer anymore. He forgot about him. Once Yosef gave up on the Saram once Yosef placed only his trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem says, now I'm going to take care of you. And that's what we see in the next parasha. Then all of a sudden, at the end of two years... Paro, all of a sudden he has a dream. And says the Arachan something beautifully. That Paro over here dreamt every single day for two years the dream that he had. He dreamt the same dream every single day, but he forgot it when he woke up. Why? Because Yosef still had to be in jail. Why? Because Yosef still had a, this belief in this Emunah into the, into the Sahamashkim. But all of a sudden, comes Yosef, come to a point where he no longer has a munah in the Salam game and now he places trust in God, all of a sudden now the solution comes into fruition. All of a sudden, now, Parol says, oh wait a minute, I remember my dream. Now we each dream every single night. Majority of people forget the dreams. Majority, and then there's a the small minute that take their dreams too seriously. But then there's that the small that where sometimes you're supposed to take a dream seriously and sometimes you're not supposed to take a dream seriously. Majority of the time. But the, the concept that Paro was dealing with the dream, the The message was given to him for two years straight every single night. That's a crazy. Talking about having a redundant dream, talking about a real dream every single night, but he didn't remember it. Only until it was necessary, to beneficial for yourself. That's what the best HaLevi says, it happened at the end, and then all of a sudden Paro was dreaming. We're at the end. Meaning that it's not that two years were over, and that's why Paul had a dream. But rather, because the decree was over, now Paul had the dream. So once the decree was up, all of a sudden the salvation now is going to come into fruition. And this, this, story, this, this story with the Baal Shantab just explains it so beautifully. Baal Shantab was once traveling in the forest with one of his students. And they were traveling for three days. And they were traveling three days without any water. Suddenly the student, the Talmud, goes and says, you know, Rabbi, I'm so thirsty. If I don't get water now, I am going to die. I'm not going to be able to survive. I'm not going to be able to make it. So the Baal Shem Tov says, okay, so if you need water, have a munah that you should get water. Like, what's, what's the question? That's, you'll get water. So the student, which is a student of the Baal Shem Tov, no simple matter. He says, okay, fine. He focused all his mindset on having a munah to have to get water. Soon enough, just a few minutes go by, and all of a sudden a non-Jew passes by, and he's looking for something. He sees they looking. And he sees two men, he sees a Baal Shem Tov and a student, and he goes over to them and says, Maybe you've seen my horse. He says, My horse has been missing for three days, I can't find him. And uh, the student of Baal Shem Tov says, No, you know, I'm sorry, we, we haven't uh, seen your horse. But the student is looking at this man and says, Maybe you could help us. You know, do you by any chance have water? We've been traveling for three days and we don't have any water. And the man says, Yeah, I just haven't you water know, I have had you know enough water in here and he gives the student water. And the student goes, makes a charcoal, and drinks the water. Afterwards he gives the jug back to the to, to the non jew and the, the guy goes and moves along. And as they're walking, the Balchantov notices the student is very much in thought. Suddenly the student you know pipes up and says, You know, Rabbi, I have a question. He says, you know, why you know, I, I know that this person is a messenger to give me my water. But why did he have to search three days for his horse? His horse was also missing for three days. Why did he have to search for three days? He couldn't. Why couldn't he just go and come whenever I need it? So you know what the Baal Shantov tells him? Baal Shantov says, he says, Hashem put you in a situation. And that situation, we know that before God puts you in a situation, He puts the the fu'ah before the makah. He puts the salvation before the problem. And he says, God put us in a situation where we're not going to have water for three days. The, the salvation was right there. The man was searching for his horse for three days. He had everything that we needed, but we didn't deserve it yet. Once you went and you had the emunah b'tachan, all of a sudden you worked on that. Now the salvation comes, meaning that he was waiting for you. This guy was searching for his horse for you. So to speak. I'm paraphrasing. The bashan did not say that. But once we go and we have and we tap into them, emunah b'tachan, all of a sudden that opens up so many blessings for us that are just waiting there. They're so waiting there. The biggest kicker, one of the most. Difficult thing that I, I feel is after 120, you know, we come up to Hashem and we'll say, God, like, you know, I asked you so much for this. I prayed so much for this. I wanted so much for this. Why couldn't you give it? And Hashem said it was right behind the door. The door of Imunah B'Tachana was right behind it. All you need to do is open it up. Just look inside. It would have came falling down because it was overflowing with blessing. All you had to do is open that door of Imunah B'Tachana. But what can I tell you? What can I say? You, you didn't do it. You didn't have the blood. There's so much that we could tap into. But the problem is, is that once we rely on other people, we're taking away from what we need to rely on. This is, you know, we look at this and see, even in the title, even Cain. So, after Cain murdered Abel, the Pasuk says, The Kain was nervous. Why? He goes over to Hashem. And he says, Whoever goes and finds me is gonna kill me. I just killed Havani. They're gonna kill me. So what did God reply? God replied, God says, therefore, whoever kills Kain is gonna be punished. God that the Blessed Father is gonna be punished. Explains the Archayma HaKadosh. And he says, "You know what is the source that all of a sudden that Hashem says whoever is going to go and kill Cain for you know we're talking about here for you know for a certain amount of generations is going to go and going to be punished because of the word lechen." Says Arachayim the 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 conjunction of the word lechen therefore means that since Cain realized that he doesn't have the ability to save himself. And he has to rely on Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Hakadosh Baruch says, "Oh, you rely on me." L'chayn. Therefore, whoever is going to kill you is going to be punished. Meaning that the source of his salvation, his his safety, you could call it, was his emunah b'tocham. The Vilna Gaon the Gra goes and and says, you know, when when a child is small. They have all the trust in Hashem. For the the most beautiful thing is that you deal with little children and how much emunah and bitachon they have. It's so amazing. They they believe in anything, you know, like and and they really believe it. And you know what? Says the Vilna Gaon, Hashem treats them accordingly. They have such a high level of emunah and bitachon, and God will treat them in such a high level of divine providence. But what happens when we grow up? And we start trusting more in ourselves and we start trusting more in our families and our friends and our neighbors and our rabbis and our teachers and we start trusting more in everybody else and all of a sudden oh says you're trusting more over here so then I'm going to have to tr- reduce the trust over here everything walk, works in, in a balance everything is proportional the more that you trust the more the more divine providence that you're going to get This is when you when when and you look at it throughout history for example when the when the Jews reached the Yamso, the Red Sea. They were petrified. The Egyptians were coming on one side. They had the sea on another side. They had nothing else. All they had was their bitachon. And what happened? When their bitachon went up, so did the divine providence. The sea split. There was so much that happened because of their emunah bitachon. So this is why in the Bet migdash we have kuvim kuvim are the... They, they, they look like uh, faces of little children. Want to know why? Because the correct way to look at life is like a child. People think of children. Oh, you don't know anything about life yet. Oh, you're such a you know you don't you don't really know the problems. No, that's the correct way. You don't know so much about it. A child only knows black and white. I'm allowed to do this. I'm not allowed to do this. I'm supposed to do this. I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to. to I'm not supposed to. have have them not. Why is something going to happen? Because I'm going to pray for it. And if I pray for it, then it will happen. That's the basic foundation of a child. I'm going to share with you something that I had no intent of sharing with you, but because okay. In fact, this is something that I, you know, it's, it's supposed to be in the in the topic of of prayer. But, just to share with you the concept of of what does it mean to believe. And I'm going to repeat this story again. i just this you can repeat this story a thousand times. It's so powerful. The what, There was once a little boy who goes over to his father and on Shavuot night. It was Shavuot and he wanted to stay up all night to learn. And the father says, you can't stay up and learn. You're like seven, eight years old. You're a little kid. You can't stay up. And the boy says, no, no, please, I'm gonna stay up, I'm gonna take a nap, I'm gonna do everything that I need to do, please help me stay up. And the boy begged, cried his father, but the father says, You're too young, it doesn't make you shouldn't do it. There's no there's no need for it. And as the father and the other boys leave for the shul, for the synagogue to learn all night, the little boy looks at his father and says, Father, please, can I please come learn with you all night? And the father says, you know, I love your heart, it's great where you are, but unfortunately, no, this is not, this is not, you're not, not at the age that you need to do that. So the father leaves, and the father walks down the street, walks up to the next block, and he starts thinking, he says, you know what, my little boy, he wants so badly to learn. He says, why am I telling him not to? And he decides, after walking a block and a half, he says, no, you know what, no, I can't. My little boy wants to, I'm going to go back. If he's still up, I'm going to go and I'm going to take him to Shul. He turns around, the whole family, and they go back to the house. He opens the door to the house, standing in the hallway with his coat, gloves, and hat is the little boy. And the father looks at him and he's like, you want to, okay, you could come. He's like, okay, Holds his father's hand and they walk out. And the father's looks at the boy and he says, I, I don't understand. I told you we're not going. Why did you get dressed all ready to go to the shul with your coat and everything? And uh, the boy says, cause I, I knew that you were going to come back and get me. And the father says, you knew that I was going to, how do you know that I was going to come back and get you? And the boy goes and he says, because I dived into Hashem that you should come back and get me. And he says, if I dave into Hashem, then I knew that Hashem is going to listen and is going to send you back to me. This boy was none other than Rabbi Shimshon Pinkus, which I quote numerous times, uh, in all my classes. <laughs> so the power of the purity of a little child is so beautiful, so amazing, and that is the correct way. Because a little child, when they dive in, they know that they're getting answered. They have that emunah the correct way. It's us who are faulty. So maybe we should go back to our youth and go and tap into that unadulterated that we had. David Amalek says in Tehillim chapter 131 verse 2, it says, Ki gamel alei imo. The, He was describing himself like a like a suckling infant upon his mother. That just like an infant is entirely dependent on its mother for its milk supply, so too we have to be entirely dependent on Hashem for anything in life. And the way that it works is that the more that the infant nurses, the more milk is produced the less the infant nurses, the less the milk is produced. And there could be twins, and there will be enough milk for twins. And there could be, you know, it, it works, everything works proportional. So, you know, so too is, is the same concept with emunah. The more that we utilize emunah, the more milk, so to speak, the more, the more blessing is produced from it. The less emunah that we have, then the less milk is going to be produced. The Vilna Gohan goes and says that the aspect of relying on Hashem, that produces the abundance. And if let's say you have a baby that all of a sudden gets milk from another source, let's say formula, so the mother's milk is also going to go down. So we can cut off our supply of blessing, aka milk, then uh, by just trusting in ourselves or trusting in other people or utilizing our source from a different area. That Baal Shem Tov one time stayed in a certain man's house. And this man was so thrilled, so honored, so blessed to have the Baal Shemtov stay in his house that when the Baal Shempo was there he was teaching everybody Torah he was saying stories he was motivating everybody that he was so moved by the fact that he had the big rabbi the biggest rabbi in the world at that time in his house and then the time came when the rabbi says I have to go and the, and the wealthy man is like no where are you going and the Baal Shempo says listen I, you know the reason why I'm traveling now is I need to collect money so I'm going to go collect money so the wealthy man goes and says, "How much do you collect in, a, you know, in a day? How much do you expect to collect in a day?" So he says, "You know, I'm planning to collect about a hundred, uh, you know, coins, whatever gold coins." So the wealthy man goes and says, "If I pay you a hundred gold coins, will you stay in my house another day?" And the Baal Shemple says, yeah, if I don't have to collect them, why not? I'll stay over here. That, that's the way that I'll collect. So he said, fine. He says, here's a hundred gold coins. Please stay here another day. Teach us, learn with us, help us grow. And that's what the Baal Shemple there did. He stayed another day, continued teaching them, teaching, motivating them, telling them stories, everything that he, that, that the, the Baal Shemple was known for. The next day, the Baal Shemple starts backing his he bank hey, and it's time to go. And the wealthy man says, no, 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 not yet. He says, here's another hundred gold uh, coins. Please stay another day. And this happened for the next few days. Until finally, all this rich, wealthy man's money was depleted. He ended up giving it all to the Baal Shanto. But he didn't want to give up the rabbi. So he says, the rabbi, I want him. the rabbi to stay. Please still stay. So the wealthy man says, but, you know, he's thinking, I don't have any money. He says, you know what, give, give me a few hours. He takes, he had some backup, to call it backup source of money. And he had, you know, expensive jewelry, diamonds, jewels, and things like that. And he went and he sold it and he got another 4,000 or 5,000 gold coins. And he went over to the Baal Shem Tov and it says here I want you to stay for another five days And he paid him in advance for the next five days Finally the days were up and the Baal Shem says okay hey, now I have to go I have to go finish collecting for, my, you know, for, for the people that I'm collecting for And the man definitely wanted the Baal Shem Tov to stay but he had nothing left to, to give He had nothing left to give, he was completely destitute So he said thank you the rabbi for staying and they part their ways Now this person who was once wealthy is now left without anything and he's not without anything all of a sudden who does he turn to? he turns out he says please I need you I need your help I got nothing I gave everything to Baal that night a few drunks came into his, uh, his shop that he sold uh, you know high quality liquor and they said uh, you know please pour us uh, we want to buy some whiskey so the guy says I'm sorry I just you know depleted all my funds everything I wanted to give everything away so I could have a certain rabbi I got nothing and the drunkard said, like, what do you mean, you don't have nothing, you don't have any whiskey? He says, no, I have nothing, nothing in my, I'm all cleaned out. And they tell him, the drunkard said, do you by any chance have maybe the barrels where the whiskey was kept? And he says, yeah, I still have the barrels and that. They said, do me a favor, fill it up with water, and then give us a drink from that, we'll pay you for that. And he said, "They said, that, you know, there'll be a taste of whiskey. Talk about a true Hasid of a drunk, right?" And they go, and the guy says, well, no problem." He pours, you know, um, water inside the barrel, and he starts giving them this uh, barrels of uh, uh, this cups of water, which has a little, you know, hint of uh, whiskey. And they're drinking it, and they're loving it, and they're enjoying it, and they're paying him, and they're paying, him, and they're paying him. Time goes by, and the Baishtov is passing through the same uh, the same town. And he goes over to this house where he stayed not too long ago, and he spent uh, you know quite a few nights there. And he knocks on the door, and somebody else opens up. And the Bachanov says, "Where's the previous owner? Is he doesn't he not live here anymore?" And the person says, "No, he doesn't live here. He lives on the other side of town." He says, he "Lives on the other side of town. Can you point me to the directions?" And I say, "Yeah, sure." They gave him the directions. And the Bachanov starts traveling. He sees you know the streets are getting more fancier, the houses are getting bigger. This person lives, is now living in the most wealthiest part of town. He knocks on the door of Al-Chantal until where he's directed. He goes into the door and it's none other than his, you know, person that he stayed by a few, uh, you know, a short while, you know, before where he gave him so much money. And, uh, and this time he has butlers and he has servants. He was extremely wealthy. He became extremely wealthy. When he sees the Baal Shentav, he was so honored. He says, Oh, go, Rosh you came back. Please come in. He was so honored to go and host the stage again. This big Tamit HaCham. And while he's staying in his house, this wealthy man goes over to the Baal Shentav and says, You know, Rabbi, I have a question for you. Something has been bothering me for a while. He says, You know, last time you were by me, you cleaned me out. I had no money left. And he goes over to the rabbi and says, How could you do that? How could you leave me with no money whatsoever? So the Baal says, says, you know, I saw in the heavens that you are destined to have a tremendous amount of money. You have great wealth. It was just like pouring out. The door was closed. And so the, the blessing was right there, but the pipelines were blocked. Why were they blocked? Because you pressed, you, you placed your trust in your 401k and your gems. You placed your trust in the savings that you had in the bank. He says, you didn't place your trust in Hashem. Once you are prepared to give everything away and you place your trust in Hashem, then all of a sudden I knew that the blessings are gonna come and they're gonna start pouring in. They're gonna start pouring in and they're gonna get the blessing for it. Meaning that they the the blessing that you had was there but it was stuck because you did you did not have the the Imunabi that you needed to so important that when we start relying on our bank account and we start relying on our finances or our friends or our parents or our bosses then we're losing out on blessing. We have nothing other to rely on other than HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the Beis lady goes and says that the more one purifies his deeds or her deeds and increases their trust in Hashem then correspondingly they will have to toil less. They will have to do less effort, less ishadlut in acquiring what they need. Meaning the source of your blessing is increasing in your emunah Rabbi David Asher brings down a story that it was uh, in the 1980s. There were a few, uh, a few a small group of guys that this, they wanted to buy a very large property in Flatbush. And they wanted to build a mikvah over there. But the price of the property and the, everything was very, very high. They needed to raise $4 million. This is talking about the 1980s. But they figured they'll have plenty of time in order to do it. The more difficult part is that they have to come up with a down payment. For closing, they needed $600,000. And that's a short that's much closer. They needed this, the down payment sooner. And the rest of the money they could go and they could uh, raise uh, you know, more in the distant future. And they tried raising. It was 10 days before closing. And not only did they not, were they not able to raise what they needed to, the 600,000, they were actually 50,000 in the hole. They had to borrow 50,000 to go and cover a different expense in some, you know, from, you know, a different, in a different area. So now they were negative $50,000, meaning that they needed $650,000 now. So they decided they're going to call a meeting. It's a few days before closing. They don't have the money. And they, you know, they had some money, you know, amongst themselves. So they, each one donated a significant sum, but at the end of the day, it only amassed $100,000. They were still missing a big chunk of their money. So as they're discussing and they're sitting in their meeting over here, there was a knock on the door and there was a well-respected rabbi that was coming trying to raise money for his institution. The men invited him to take a seat. So this was a well-respected rabbi. And they tell him the situation. He says, we want to build a mikvah. We have, it's a very expensive project. We could only come up with $100,000. We're a few days from closing. What are we supposed to do? We can't do anything. So the rabbi goes to them and says, you know, you're missing a very, very crucial factor over here. And that's going to change everything. And that is, you seem to feel that the entire project of the mikvah is on your shoulders. And when you think about it Mathematically, statistically And your fundraising abilities You know, you can only raise a certain amount of money It seems like you're blocked in a corner You're not able to do anything So the rabbi goes and says But you're forgetting one important factor It says that you're not including Hashem in this equation It says you, it's very difficult Yeah, you're not going to be able to raise it But not once did I hear you speak about Hashem What about Hashem? What about Hashem? He's the one that can raise you everything But not once did you mention him that if you go and you increase your level of Bidachon, you will have the Tishma, you have a divine providence, divine assistance. The rabbi goes and says, I recommend that each and every single one of you go and start learning the Sha'ar Go and start learning the Chavot al Go and start learning and improving your Emunah Bidachan. This made a huge impression on them. Needless to say, make a long story short, the Mikvah not only was built, but it's still in operation to this day. So, you have over here, where you're blocked in a corner, and you feel like you can't do anything. You have to realize that you didn't include the most important aspect of your decision making, and that is including Hashem in everything that you do. And I can guarantee you, anybody that has been working on their emunah I can guarantee you that life has been better. And, and I didn't. Add, I don't know who, how many people here. You know what? Let's make a poll. If, let's see if you know we'll get responses. I'm asking if everybody's able to, whoever has been following along with all, we're doing 28 or something, 29 classes we had in the Abidah Whoever has been following this series, please do me a favor, send me an email. I want them to take a, like a little poll. Send me an email if your life has improved or not, also the negative, has it improved or stayed exactly the same. Send me an email, let's bring this up in the next, uh, you know, in the next class. We'll see how many people take a, take a live statistic. Um, statistical you know uh, analysis. If you're going and you're sitting and yes, how do we do the live poll in chat? I don't know how to do that. So if we're able to then whoever's able to do that if they could do please do that. Um, or just people just put in the message I guess. So yeah, whoever's on the live uh, chat, put it on uh, put it on over there and I'm gonna put it on I have to collect it, put it on a su- separate uh, um, you know Word document and we'll have to go and discuss it next week. So the poll is: Did your life improve ever since you started learning Emunah? And I'm talking about people that specifically went through the, the series of that we've discussed—the 28 classes so far that we've given at Emunah Khan. It doesn't have to be; you don't have to say it just if you didn't go through the series, but you learned. Let's say B'Dachon. You learned Emunah from a different source. Let's say you learned about David Asher's book, Living Emunah, and or whatever it is. If you're, I want to know if your life improved. Decrease maybe because of it, or stayed exactly the same. That's all. That's all I want to know. I can guarantee that your life improves thousandfold, a thousandfold. You know, by going and learning about Emunah because there's so much blessing that comes out. There's so much benefit that comes out from, uh, uh, you know, from, from this. That you know, just just a, a little factor. Usually, I try not to. Make series too um, too long, and that was if you look at my older classes, like you know, three four years ago, and even if you before I went online, even even eight nine years ago, my series that I used to give was two three classes, not more than that. Why? Because everybody has ADD, everybody has attention. You know, like people can't stick on the same topic for so long. But then I decided that I'm gonna, and, and why did I do that? Because I've gotten comments from my own students to be like, why are we speaking about the same topic four weeks in a row? This is the four weeks in a row, three weeks we're gonna speak about the same topic, as if all of a sudden they have already pure, you know, 100% understanding on the topic. They need three and no more. Now let's go jump to a different topic. And this is why you see something very interesting also, that some topic, you have some speakers, they speak about certain topics, they get 10 times more views, or a thousand times more views because of the topic. What, what changed? If you're learning to all, you're learning to all, regardless of the topic. Oh, now you're learning for entertainment. Oh, so you like this topic, and you don't like another topic. So you wanna know how you know if you're learning Lashem Le Shemayim? If you listen to a class the same way of the, whether the topic is what you like it or whether the topic is what you don't like it. Cause if you're listening to the topic that you like, and I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to topic, topics that you like, you should. But if you listen to only the topics that you like, that means that you're looking for entertainment or self-improvement and whatever it is that you feel that you need. But everything else, you're good, you're okay with that. That's not the correct way. The correct way is that you go and you learn, if, let's say you're learning from a certain rub, you're learning from a certain teacher, whether it's in seminary, in school, in yeshiva, it doesn't matter. If you're learning, you're learning from them. If you're not learning from them, you're picking here and you're picking there. So then yes, it's still good, it's, you're still getting something, but then you're just picking and choosing. So you're, depending on your mood, oh, this is the topic. Oh, you're going to speak about Mashiach? Okay, fine. 10 million views, that'll speak about. Oh, end of the world? Ooh. Oh, you're gonna speak about conspiracy theories? Forget about everything else. That's what I want to listen to. The nonsense that people deal with nonstop about all this kind of conspiracy theories on the coronavirus, I don't want to even get started on this because it's pure nonsense and a waste of time. In any case, <laughs> reeling myself back in over here, the more that you learn about Imunam. The more that you focus and you work on emunah bechun. Now it's not enough just to have the information over here. You have to constantly internalize it, and that's why I feel it's so important. That no twenty classes is not enough in emunah. The truth is, even a hundred classes is not enough in emunah. You have to constantly, constantly learn it and sink it in. And that's why somebody who's sitting and learning emunah—it's not enough to say, "Yeah, I learned the shabbat bechun." No, you review it a thousand times. You learn. You, you go and maybe you want something a little bit lighter. You go and you read. Um, you know, Rabbi. Uh, uh, I don't know, let's say Rabbi David Asher's book on living one So you read that and you go and you finish it and you go again another cycle. There's so much blessing that could come out of it. You keep on learning and learning and learning until it becomes part of you. Until before, until the next time, you know how you know you're high level, now? the next time you stub your toe, you start praising God. You, you, you stub your toe and you're like, oh, I you know, thank you for God. You know, if you're stubbing your toe, I'm talking about like the pinky toe like seriously you know like child labor pain right you know what I'm talking about like worse than a paper cut so serious serious pain for about 0.3 seconds if you go and you're like ah and that's it then you know where you are but all of a sudden the first thought that comes into your mind is thank you then you know you're getting places. Then you know that you're getting places. And how are you going to get there? Not by listening to three classes in Emunah. Not by reading once a week about uh, Emunah. It's about going and focusing and internalizing day in and day out about Emunah and bitohon, And all of a sudden until it becomes part of you. So when we're dealing with it, many of us think that the B'tachon aspect is a nice, it's a positive aspect. It will make our lives better. That's, that's, not, that's not the correct way. Yes, it will bring blessing. To your life, but says says, you know, to everybody that we've quoted till now. Somebody who doesn't go and turns away from Bitachon is left with a curse. Left with a curse. A, it's a serious. It's a negative aspect. Alav curse curses a man. that someone that goes and 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 has a munah Bitachon in a man. When and by the way, these are referring to people that they recognize God, but they choose to turn away. That's where the cursing lies, but it's not talking about someone who never learned about what bitachon is. That, that's a you know a completely different category. Okay, so now some people might say that you know why I need to have emunah and other people. It says yes, I know God is able to do everything, but it's me. I, I am not worthy I am not worthy that God should go and give me so much blessing and that's why I know that I don't deserve it so I have a little bit of Munah here a little bit of of course I know everything from Hashem but I have also of in other places because it's my default it's my defect so the the Pesukim tell us you know especially when you look at the Exodus of Egypt that it, it we say that our Kodesh HaShem it says God took us out of Egypt God took us out now, when God took us out, we were on the 49th level, out of only 50 levels, of impurity and defilement. The Tumah that we were on. And yet, what does God say in Shemot chapter 4, verse 22? Bini bochori Yisrael. You are my firstborn child. That it's indep- What do we learn from this? It's independent of our merits. And the central pillar of our Emunah and B'itachon is that it's not dependent on our merits. The Metosh and Parashat goes and says that where do we come from? We know that when Mitzayim, when the Exodus of Egypt came, there were only 20% of Jews who left Egypt. Those are the 20% of Jews who trusted in Hashem. They trusted and they followed him out of yitzhak Mitzrayim. They went out of Egypt into the Midbar. Who are those? Those are the 20% of Jews that were trusted. Those ones that didn't, they didn't make it. The 80% didn't make it every single one of us that are alive today are descended from those 20%. Meaning that it's in our DNA, it's in our blood to have that emunah and Don't say, I can't do it. It's not me, I'm not able to. No, it's you. It's in your blood. You come from ancestors that had pure emunah and that caused them the merit to be able to go and leave Mitzrayim. And the Chavotah of the Lord goes and says that someone who goes and begins to doubt whether or not they're worthy of Hashem's kindness, they are not a Baal bittichon. To take it a step further, it says in the Nesivah Shalom, in the Maimar Abimuna and B'Tacham, that somebody who doesn't believe that Hashem dwells even amongst the Neshaim, the wicked people, is considered an apikoas. Let me repeat that again. In the Nesivah Shalom, in the Maimar and Emunah and B'Tacham, right? He's citing over here the, bay- the base uh, ayim. And he says that somebody who does not believe that Hashem dwells even among the wicked people, and their impurities that they're dealing with is also considered an api cause, a heretic. Why? Because they're missing a crucial point of the internal connection and love that Hashem has with our with with us, His children. And our remember problem, Weinfeld goes and says that the the where do you see a big proof for something like this? Look at Menashe. Menashe was someone who served avodah zarah to the worst extent. Very was not a good person. Right? And Minasha was somebody who was captured by his captors. And they chained him and they put him in a pot and they lit a fire under this pot. We all know the story. We mentioned this a few times right? And Minasha started calling out as he was being cooked alive. Imagine being put in a pot and it was basically like a bowl. He was put in a bowl and it was a, fire, a metal iron, you know, bowl. And he, they started lighting a fire under it. He was going to melt alive, burn alive. And Menashe started going and crying out to every single idol that he worshiped. And of course, no one did anything. And finally, Menashe declared, in a sort of a chutzpah, you know, way, I will call out to God. I will call out to Hashem. If he answers me, then good. But if he doesn't, that means that he is just like all the other gods. And he goes and he starts praying to God. And the prayers are going up to heaven. And the angels block it. They put a shield around it. Saying, no, no, these prayers are not going up. And Hashem says, no, what are you doing? He says, I have to listen to these prayers. And Hashem sort of speak, dug a hole around this blockade that the angels created. And Hashem went and Hashem answered and saved the Menasha from his prayer. Why? Because Hashem says, if I don't accept his prayer, I am blocking the door for future Balei Chuba. Even if a person is not worthy. Even if a person is as low as the level of Menasha was. Still, he has the power of Tefillah. He has the power of Muna Bidechon. The Ramban, in the Sefer Munah B'tachon, says the effects of B'tachon is not necessarily, partially, but not necessarily, we spoke about this to what level, are not necessarily tied to the inherent worthiness of a person. As it says in Pasukhi chapter 37 verse 3. Have trust in God and then do good, says the Ramban. Had B'tachon, if the do good would have been on the beginning of the Pasukh, meaning, Instead of saying betach the translation is trust God and do good. If let's say it was reversed, it should if let's say it says do good, and then betach and then trust God. Then we would think, you know what? How do you trust God? There's a prerequisite. First, do good. Oh, once you do good, now you're going to be able to go, and you're going to be able to have trust in God. But it doesn't say it that way. First, it says betach regardless of where you're holding in your life, betach b'ashem, havei in God, and then afterwards What is Vassetov doing after that? Because there's a catch. Don't think that you're just going to live life and be like, I have a Munan bitachan and don't worry about it. God will take care of everything. No, no, no. There's a crucial factor in this. Do not be fooled. You will still be punished for your sins. You will reward it for your good, but you will be punished for your sins. Don't have a Munan bitachan that everything is going to be fine. No, you have to go and you have to make sure we do. you do your Chuba. We all have to go and follow through the Chuba process in every aspect of our life. But, regardless of where we're holding in that area, and we have to be holding in that area. Still, you still have the possibility and the ability to go and have a munabit in Akhagosh B'ahu. That, the Ramban also goes and says, in a that a person doesn't, you know, deserve to be helped. let's say. Hashem could even give him the, help him basically a mass reward that he should be able, that he would be able to have the Munai, and we would be able to have the Bidikhan, and he would be able to be saved from whatever situation he is. Meaning that even if you're not in Allah, Vashemku will create it that you can gain the merits that you need to. The Vashemku of Golden says that every character, every trait, there's a negative aspect and a positive aspect to it. And there's even a positive aspect to lack of trust, not having trust. And where does the lack of trust have a positive aspect and it gives, uh, asks you for help? I'd say charity, whatever it is. So, you could say, you could give them a whole schmooze. I just listened to 28 classes of the Munah B'Tachon, or 29 classes of the B'Tachon. I just memorized the Chavot Al-Vachah B'Tachon. I read all of the books that are available in Munah B'Tachon, and you could give them the best speech ever created in speech world. That's not what's needed right now. You know what's needed right now? Someone who goes, I need help. Then, well, you know what? You have to think that there's nobody else in the world that can help him other than me meaning that there is a place where lack of trust can actually be beneficial. That when someone comes to you, don't go and be like, okay, you want to know why you're not having all your blessings Because you're not trusting enough. Have trust in when I'm the heart. No, no, no. That should be for yourself. But for other people, when somebody comes to help you, say, okay, what can I do to help you? There's nobody else in this world that can help you other than me. And I need to help you. That is the correct thought process. When somebody else comes to you. But when we're dealing with ourselves, it's so imperative, so important to understand and to internalize. That if you go and we trust in other people, then our divine providence, then our divine assistance is going to go down. It works proportional. The more that you trust in Hashem, the more divine assistance that you're going to get. The less that you trust in Hashem, the less divine assist- you know, assistance that you're going to get. You're going to start trusting in other people? So Hashem says, okay, fine. You want to trust in somebody else? Go ahead. Let's see how you successfully are. Oh, you want to trust in yourself? No, uh, let's watch. Let's see what's going to happen. You think you're so great. Let's see how that's going to work out for you. Such an important imperative lesson. Yes, we have to do our Hishadu. Yes, we have to do our effort in our life. But at the same point in time, then no matter how much effort we're doing in our life, we have to realize that there's nothing other than HaKadosh Baruch Hu. No matter where we're holding in our life, and you were with us in the past few classes, we spoke about how much effort we have to have. You still have to realize that everything is from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And with that, we will open up to uh, the questions. Okay, so we see over here... Okay, I'm going to have to, you know, save this over here. I see over here quite a few uh, regarding the poll that we asked. So thank you all for responding over here. Uh, How much it improved. It improved a thousand percent. Um, One is more content, so that's beautiful. No matter what happens, definitely improved. A hundred percent, my attitude improved a ton. Okay, good. I have to save all this. This is an interesting one. The challenge got harder, but with Emunah, the suffering decreased by 99%. That is... Beautiful, meaning that even though the difficulty became harder, but the suffering decreased because I had that. I'm assuming the power of Emunah he helped deal with that. So this is this is someone. This is in a situation where it's not status quo and it just improved. Meaning that even when your situation was decreased and it became more difficult, it improved just for the fact that you had Emunah Amazing. Uh, so. You know, for the person, that I don't want to say it out loud. For the person, whoever, the challenge got harder. I give a brachada. The challenge should be much easier for in life. So, okay, next one. The closer I get to Hashem by talking to him during the day and asking help constantly and thanking him for everything is, has improved my life tremendously. No comparison at all. Everyone must strive to grow in their munam khan, Even just a little bit, you'll be so happy. Thank you. So, Couldn't have said it better myself. And that is something that I tell people. If someone has a hard time at having a munam step one is gratitude in Hashem. Step one is starting to say thank you to Hashem. I've had people that say I have nothing to be thankful to Hashem for. And I say you have a lot of work on your head. <laughs> you have plenty to be thankful for. So we have to find things that we're thankful for and start thanking Hashem. And that will, in turn, will help us with our emunah. Okay. Next one is once I put emunah in Hashem, specifically regarding Corona, my financial situation improved. Wow. Despite not working for many months. Wow. And Baal Hashem, me and my family have stayed healthy. Unbelievable. Okay. Here's oh here's a good question. Why do we have to thank Hashem for bad things? Why can't we just ask for better situations? So the answer is is that yes and yes, uh, meaning that you should thank Hashem for bad things, but at the same point in time, you should also ask for better situations. Of course, if you're in a situation, you should ask Hashem to remove you from a bad situation and you should help you become better and whatever it is that you're looking for. But at the same point in time, that while it's happening, you have to have the, there's a very very big power of acceptance acceptance and accepting, saying this is from Hashem, there's a huge, huge power in that. How does one know when he needs to stop his ishtavut and let God take it from there? Okay, so that's a good question. That's a question of how much effort do we need to do? So um, the simple answer, and again, we spoke about this in detail um, in the past like four or five classes. So it's, I'll, I'll give a brief answer, but really to get an understanding, I would say I would suggest to go on to Torah anytime and listen to the, to the classes that are titled uh, in the Munah series, in the end of the sentence of the title, there's parentheses that says effort part one, effort part two, effort part three. I would go through that, and that would really clarify. But the simple manner of how much effort a person's supposed to do, it should be also proportional to where you put effort in other areas. So if you put, F, uh, you know, if you put, let's say, on a scale of one to ten, um, let's say you put five power of effort in, let's say, your paranasah, then that's the amount of effort you need to put in shiduchim. So it should be parallel to everything else, because now it shouldn't be one thing, it should be two, and because if you're too lazy, and another thing is five, because you feel this, and whatever. It should be all proportional. But again, to get a better understanding, I'd recommend to listen to review those classes, uh, because we speak about it in life. a very, there's a lot of factors that go into it. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnyTime.com.